Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, data with episode 295 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, it is Thursday and you know exactly what that means. Getting over is back once again to talk about everything that went down over the past week in AEW across Dynamite and Rampage, as well as NXT. We have, as usual, a loaded show for you today, and the Silver King is also short on time, so we are not going to waste any of it getting into this show. A reminder off the top, your favorite podcast, Getting Over. So do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show, your ratings, your reviews. They help us immensely get more listeners uh, and more subscribers, and we are looking to grow. So that could be very helpful to us. And also, folks, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Normally, I would give you some big intro about my overall thoughts on AEW and NXT this week. The truth is, I thought they were both good shows. Were either of them spectacular? No, but there was a lot to like about both. As a reminder, because this is an episode that has two different brands, two different companies, all in one, if you only watch AEW, only watch NXT, you don't want to listen to both, check the episode description. We have timestamps in it, as we do for every single episode of Getting Over. It'll let you know exactly when you need to skip to, if you want to hear the other brand, or of course, you can just stay tuned and listen to both in uh, succession here which is what I hope you do, because I th- feel like everyone should know exactly what's happening on AEW and NXT, even if you only happen to listen to one uh, of the two shows, watch one of the two shows, is of course what I meant. This week, we are going to start with AEW. There is a lot that did happen across Dynamite and Rampage. You could tell this week they were really beginning to set the stage for Double or Nothing. You could say maybe some of the weeks that has have passed recently, they were kind of just, you know, waiting in the water, biding their time, waiting their turn uh, to be able to turn it up. It really started to feel like the build for Double or Nothing was off and running this week on Dynamite in particular. So let's get to it. Uh, Dynamite, we had uh, AEW. They announced on the show that Hangman Adam Page will fight CM Punk for the title at the pay-per-view. Hangman was out with COVID-19 and reportedly this entire episode had to get rewritten. My guess is he was going to do a stare-down confrontation with Punk at some point. We didn't have that. Instead, Punk grabbed the mic to say AEW has the most talented locker room he's ever experienced. He's proven himself that he can still do this. He put over the fans as a reason for his success, saying he's not going to guarantee a win in the match, but he promises Hangman will know at the end that he was in a fight. Now, this is the type of Punk promo that I think we've been missing for a while. Very direct, straight to the point. Not a lot of shots at WWE or other bullshit, you know, trying to play off sports teams to the crowd. Very direct, talking to his opponent. He knocked it out of the park. Uh, Of course, the match booking for Double or Nothing, that was expected, but it's right on. And I really could see it going either way. If you're going to have Hangman lose the title, talk about like someone to lose it to where, you know, you're not hurt at all, right? There's very few people in the company where it doesn't ding you at all to lose to them. Uh, CM Punk, Brian Danielson, John Moxley are three of those guys. Punk being in this position at a really big show, Hangman's title reign, while it's had great matches, it hasn't really had memorable moments. So I could definitely see this as a situation where the title does get taken off page. But look, we're a long way off until Double or Nothing. Plenty of time to think about it and talk about it. Uh, the show, the main event of Dynamite on Wednesday was the TNT Championship. Sammy Guevara defending against Scorpio Sky in a ladder match. 
Uh, this started at ringside on the ramp. Sammy missed 98%, maybe 99% of a corkscrew from near the top of a ladder. It was scary as hell, absolutely ridiculous to even attempt because really there was no safe way to land it, but he just completely missed him. And it was unnecessary on top of all of it. Sammy, like whenever he's put into these big matches, he just always seems to have one of those moments where it's like, that should not have happened. It didn't need to happen. It was too dangerous and it was unnecessary. This one was that moment for this match. There were plenty of other big spots in the match, all of which, forget about connecting like body to body, they hit like they were very popular and they got pops from the crowd. This just was one of those things that didn't need to happen. Anyway, we'll keep going. Sammy jumped from the top rope to the top of one ladder, then jumped off of it. Sky hit a mid-air TKO by jumping off another ladder simultaneously. Tremendous spot, spot of the match, spot of the entire show. Uh, Sky then pulled out a ladder wrapped in barbed wire, and Sammy caught him with a standing Spanish fly into it. Another really good spot. Dan Lambert came into the ring, so Ty Conti kicked him in the nuts. Paige Van Zant then ran in as the men and women brawled respectively with each other. The crowd was clearly behind Sky and Van Zant. Sky hit a flatliner. The guys then climbed the ladder with the opposite women on their backs, trying to slow them down. The women knocked themselves out with simultaneous kicks. Sammy gave Sky the finger, so he bit the finger. Sammy got dropped off the ladder into the barbed wire ladder uh, that was propped on the ropes. Sky then climbed the ladder to huge cheers, but Sammy sprung off the ropes onto the ladder. Sky pushed him off one more time, and he regained the title to a huge ovation from the crowd. Frankie Kazarian came out in the post-match to shake Sky's hand and presumably step in as the number one contender after their interaction last week where Sky said, hey man, just give me a break. Let me go after uh, Sammy one more time before you get your shot. This would have been an incredible match, and it still was a very good match, don't get me wrong, but it would have been incredible without the interference. It reached such a crescendo after those two big moves I talked about. Then it got cooled off for no reason. I'm not saying that the crowd was cooled off because the crowd was into the Conti and Paige Van Zandt stuff. I'm saying the flow of the match. It just slowed it down and it added elements to it that were really unnecessary. They did not need to be there as far as I'm concerned. And then it got lit up again for the finish. I know they want to continue the mixed tag team storyline and that's fine. It shouldn't have actively been part of the match. That's basically what I'm saying. Despite that, Sammy's awful dangerous corkscrew, despite that as well, also despite his total lack of selling throughout the entire match, I did think this was well done. It was super entertaining. Four stars and an A minus. It was the AEW match of the week. This and the Hikaru Shida um, Serena D match for me were basically neck and neck, very, very close. But the spots in this were so exciting that it put it over the top. So what AEW basically did here is they changed the title to aid the double turn and get Sky super over as a babyface with a win. And there's no doubt that succeeded. Like you saw the crowd reaction. I do wonder if it could have been accomplished without having four title changes in 90 days. But I suppose as long as Sky now with the championship has a long run, we're talking about a minimum of three months here, it probably won't matter in the grand scheme. People will forget about it. But at least now he's a legitimate champion because he when he won the title initially, he had beaten absolutely no one and all of his wins had come on dark. The truth is they probably should have turned them face before the initial title win back in March or delay the title win till now and have Sammy escape because of Conti and you know, build them as heels over this entire period of time where the big double turn comes here versus the back and forth four title changes that we didn't really need to get to the exact same point. So, you know, I, I don't know if that's inexperience on Tony Khan's part, if this is exactly what he wanted to do, if it was something that he changed last minute because he saw it 
they weren't getting over or Sammy was struggling. I, I don't exactly know what happened here, but it did feel like it could have been executed better if the end goal was always to do a double turn. On Rampage, we had the first of two Owen qualifiers this week, Adam Cole against Tomohiro Ishii from New Japan. Ishii got uh, most of the offense early with a near fall after a basement lariat. Cole got one after an over-the-knee neckbreaker. Things went back and forth until Jay White went to throw Rocky Romero into the steps. That distracted Ishii. Cole immediately hit a low blow and the boom for the win over Ishii. Uh, It honestly felt like 75% of Adam Cole's matches, if not more, in AEW end with a distraction and a low blow at this point. It completely took the wind out of the sails of what was on its way to being a great match. Still really good wrestling. I gave it 3.5 stars and a B. Cole is the right person to be in the tournament. But man, it's just really strange that they did it this way. Uh, On Dynamite, we had the second qualifier, Dax Harwood against Cash Wheeler. So FTR made their entrance together in matching Owen Hart inspired gear. They came out of different tunnels though. CM Punk was on commentary. Pretty sure they opened with a Brett Owen sequence, like a a throwback. I'm not 100% sure, but it really seemed like that's what it was. Dax did a thumb to the eye. Cash was pissed, but Dax said he didn't mean to do it. There was an early This Is Awesome chant, but honestly, at that point in the match, it wasn't awesome. I'm not saying it was bad, but it didn't deserve the chant is really all I'm trying to say. Uh, Cash countered the slingshot Liger Bomb into a Hurricanrana. Then Dax actually hit it for a near fall. Cash got a near fall after a pile driver. Cash sold an injured knee. Dax went to put him in a sharpshooter, but hesitated. Cash put him in an inside cradle, and Dax reversed it for the win. It was appropriate way to end the match. You don't want one guy to look that dominant over another. You really don't want one to tap the other out either. So doing that type of finish was smart. But the match, I will say it fell below my expectations. I really thought it was going to be better than it was. Others are probably going to grade it higher, you know who in particular. Uh, But for me, it was just really solid bell to bell. So I went 3.5 stars and a B for that as well. On Rampage, Lance Archer fought Serpentico. Fuego, uh, or sorry, Serpentico, tried a tope suicida before the bell, but Archer easily wrecked him, winning with the blackout in 20 seconds. Then he did a chokeslam symphony as a taunt ahead of the Wardlow match. Solid segment. It showcased his dominance, did what it needed to do. So then we moved to Dynamite, where we had Wardlow versus Archer. MJF insulted the crowd, and then he introduced Wardlow again um, to basically no music. He came out handcuffed with all the guards, the, the normal stuff. And as far as the match goes, for the most part, we got what we wanted. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. And that's really all we got. Although I will say, uh, Wardlow was pretty damn impressive, right? Uh, So Archer pretty quickly hit him with blackout, but Wardlow moved it into a crucifix for a near fall. Wardlow hit a hurricanrana. He impressively hit a senton bomb. He got a 2.5 on that. Then he hit four power bombs to beat Archer. I didn't think it was a good match, right? But it was another impressive showing from Wardlow, and that's what was important. You know, I don't like using the the word bury when it comes to wrestlers or matches or results, things like that. Like when Finn Balor loses a match in seven minutes, I don't believe the guy's buried. But they did kind of bury Archer a little bit here. I mean, not really. Like they didn't purposely do it. But the guy sat there and ate four power bombs like the jobbers do that Wardlow has beaten. And it's one thing for Wardlow to dominate those guys. He theoretically shouldn't be able to dominate Archer in the same way. I didn't like that look for him when one or two would have totally been enough. Maybe just have him hit a powerbomb and win. Archer attacks in the post-match and then Wardlow hits him with one or two more powerbombs just to kind of show that, hey, I am dominant and you're not going to get over on me. You know, that would have been just as effective without making Archer look like shit. So, you know, man, Lance Archer's career in AEW, it is 
disappointment after disappointment. This was another example of it. But of course, what was most important was Wardlow winning and looking strong. Later backstage, MJF made a call offering a anonymous wrestler six figures for one match. He indicated by using the phrase, I think, and you can't teach that is what he said. He indicated it was the former Big Cass who is now W. Morrissey over an impact. I'm not exactly sure why they need to go with an external wrestler for this, given how big this company is and how many people are on the roster. But if they're going to have him do the job the same way Archer did, I mean, that's even more of a reason that I think, why would Impact want to send someone over to do that? Maybe Morrissey comes in and looks really super strong and that would make sense. But if, I mean, if it ends with four more power bombs to this guy, I don't know why he would want to do it or why Impact would want him to do it. I will say it does fit with MJF's history where whenever he's doing long feuds and he's setting uh, people up to fight other people, Chris Jericho, CM Punk, things like that, he has in the past brought in outside talent to fight them. So it does fit with that, but it just kind of seems unnecessary here. We'll see when the match happens, uh, the way it goes. But if Morrissey's booked like Archer, that's going to be a pretty big disappointment. On Rampage, Daniel Garcia fought Eddie Kingston. Security wouldn't let the Jericho Appreciation Society in. And there was a pretty comical backstage confrontation with Chris Jericho saying he'd file an HR complaint. Uh, Garcia did a thing where he like ran on top of Kingston's body in the corner. Thought that was pretty inventive. Kingston eventually hit the backdrop on Garcia and won with the spinning back fist. Eddie grabbed his belt, but then he took a mic and said he was going to save the whipping for Jericho. This was what it needed to be. And that's really about it. Uh, on Dynamite, this was supposed to be a sit-down between JAS, Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz, where there was no physicality allowed. They all stood. Jericho wanted an apology. Santana and Ortiz gave him the finger. Kingston threw the table and just wanted to fight Jericho, even if it was five on three. Kingston and Jericho got into it. Jericho sat down, threatening uh, that Eddie would get fired if he hit him. Kingston called him a bitch and screamed in his face. And that was the end of that segment. Then later backstage, the faces were laid out by JAS with Jericho throwing a magic fireball into Kingston's face for some reason. The segment was intense from Eddie's side, but on its own, it didn't really develop anything. Now, the backstage attack, we didn't see any of the actual attack except for the fireball. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, That at least advanced the feud a little bit, but I'm not really sure the point of doing it unless they're gonna find a way to beef up the faces for a blood and guts match or some other five on five. Maybe they can reform LAX with Kingston so it becomes five on five. Those guys only showing up because Jericho is getting dirty and using a fireball. It just really felt out of place for all of them. Um, You know, that's a magic type of thing. And it didn't really fit with the Jericho Appreciation Society unless I guess the gimmick is it's sports entertainment. And then I guess maybe it would fit. I don't know. It just wasn't. It didn't hit for me, but it wasn't bad. And, you know, they're continuing this feud. We know where it's going to go. It's going to go five on five, and it's going to go Jericho Kingston part two. And both of those should be exciting. On Dynamite, we had Akaru Shida against Serena Deeb in a Philadelphia street fight. This began at 9.05, which was nice for a change. They actually gave the women a long period of time without a double commercial break. Deeb cut Shida flying with a chair to the knee, then dropped her knee first into a chair. Deeb then threw salt in Sheeta's eyes and wore her out with a kendo stick. Sheeta swung a stick wildly and used someone's drink to clear her eyes. Deeb got a chair up to counter a roundhouse kick, but Sheeta hit an avalanche falcon arrow for a great near fall. Deeb countered Sheeta and hit Deep Tox on a chair uh, and a kendo stick. Somehow, it only was a false finish. Deeb then hammered Sheeta's knee into the chair and put her in a Texas clover leaf to submit Sheeta, win the match, and win the feud. This was exceptionally well wrestled. 
I'm really surprised that they had Deeb win the feud, given Sheeta is so over. But Deeb is also there more frequently, obviously, since she's an American. And she's clearly now the number one contender for Thunder Rosa, which is a story they were kind of telling with a backstage segment as well. I presume they're going to fight a double or nothing, but they could also be an interim match uh, before Thunder Rosa gets her double or nothing opponent. It's going to be a great feud. It's going to be a great match whenever it happens. So the booking makes total sense. Between this and the latter match, they were both kind of my AEW match of the week. I loved that it was a street fight that was not only based on using all the hardcore gimmicks, all the weapons, but they actually got to wrestle there as well. Uh, So I'm going to go 3.75 stars and a B plus for this. On Dynamite, Blackpool Combat Club fought QT Marshall, Aaron Solo, and Nick Camarado. Yuta got a big response because he's a hometown guy in Philly. QT literally landed on the top of his head on a John Moxley suplex. He and Brian Danielson did stereo offense. Then they put the other two guys in submissions as Yuta put Camarado in the seatbelt for an easy win. These guys continue to look great together, the BCC, uh, loving everything about them. But a storyline kind of needs to get started sooner than later, you know, like with an opponent. They got to get Mox or Brian or both of them on the mic and not just have them wrestle, but all the wrestling that we've gotten so far from this group and the storyline that we've gotten so far for its formation, it's been perfect, pitch perfect, actually. Uh, On Dynamite, we had the Undisputed Elite against the Varsity Blondes, Dante Martin, Lee Johnson, and Brock Anderson. Johnson got singled out. He had a four-way BTE trigger and the boom. The Elite easily won. Adam Cole handed out Undisputed Elite shirts after the bell. Everyone put them on. The assumption here is the eventual return of Kenny Omega is going to be a flashpoint, right? Whenever this storyline gets going with him. For now, all five working together, totally fine, especially ahead of Forbidden Door. It feels pretty obvious they're going to wind up in some type of 10-man match on that show, whether it's against Bullet Club or another faction. Another option is Cole to get a singles match and the other four guys to wind up in an eight-man match. But I do think one way or another, that's what we're going to get. On Rampage, we have the TBS Championship, Jade Cargill against Marina Shafir. Mark Sterling distracted the referee while the baddies got shots on Shafir. Then they kissed Jade on the cheek. Jade easily escaped a guillotine choke with a Tour of the Islands style move. Shafir did a lot of submissions. The baddies distracted her outside, allowing Jade to blindside with a pump kick. Jade then choke slammed her into the right end of that ringside table. That just showed her inexperience because the table didn't break and it looked really rough. She celebrated with the baddies again and got cocky with a stomp cover, which Shafir like converted into some type of leg hook. Jade then just stomped her way out of it and hit Jaded for the win. I saw people really criticize this match on Friday, but while look, it certainly wasn't good, I didn't think it was bad either. Like I maintain that Jade should have beaten a more notable opponent and had a better match given the talent on the roster, given this was her 30th match, but I didn't mind it that much. Jade beating a talent of Shafir's size, it made her look good. But if I was booking it, this was a spot where I would have used Nyla Rose here instead of as the first challenger for Thunder Rosa. I think both feuds or both storylines, I should say, would have been better off if they had made that switch. On Rampage, Britt Baker, Jamie Hayter, and Tony Storm were backstage as Owen qualifiers. Baker said one of her or Hayter will win the whole thing, and Storm made some snide comments. That's really all there was to it. They basically did an identical segment on Dynamite. Uh, The only difference was Ruby Soho stepped in at the end to talk some shit. So it's obvious that we're going to get a tag team match at some point. That will probably be really good, by the way. Uh, But this whole thing just kind of feels, I don't know, like low effort is probably the best way to put it. Is that fair to say? If it's not, doesn't matter because I'm saying it. It feels low effort. On Rampage, Keith Lee and Swerve were backstage angry about the Team Taz finish 
from the week before, saying they won the battle, but the war is far from over. Ricky Starks called them broke-ass Keenan and Kel, which is a very funny line. Uh, there was so much momentum for Lee and Swerve coming in, and now they're just kind of like languishing in this Team Taz feud in what feels like an endless cycle. On Dynamite, Swerve and Darby Allen were set up for an Owen qualifier on Rampage. It was a good face-to-face confrontation, but this is a really strange booking. One has to believe they're going to put Darby over, and Swerve really should not be losing another match so soon since his debut. I just don't understand their booking of him at all to this point. On Dynamite, Christian Cage said Jungle Boy sounded like a loser, being depressed about his defeat last week, but he's not a loser because they're the tag team champions. Christian was literally in the middle of saying that Jurassic Express would challenge any top five team when Starks and Hobbs stepped in, like before he could even finish his sentence. Uh, It should be a good match. It's a bit weird to have these guys going for the titles when the other feud is still ongoing, but at least they did beat Lee and Swerve, so it makes sense that they would be able to go up against the titles. It just feels like they're going to wind up losing back-to-back matches. First, they're going to lose to the champions. Then they're going to lose to Lee and Swerve whenever they do that again. It's fine interim booking, though, before they come up with whatever the tag team title feud is going to be for double or nothing. Brian and Mox would definitely be that choice for me. Either way, we have to be honest and say the title run for Jurassic Express, it's been relatively awful. This is not what they expected and not what AEW expected when they put the belts on them. On Dynamite, House of Black entered with a spotlight on Fuego del Sol, who was basically dead on the ramp. Malachi Black was ready to pull off his mask when a cloaked figure appeared in the ring to stop them cold, as Alex Abrahantis said they were waiting for the right moment to blindside them. Penta Oscuro entered, then Pac walked out, then Alex walked out, and it was revealed that Ray Phoenix was actually the guy under the cloak in the ring. They did three simultaneous topes after clearing the ring and beating on them to end the entire thing. It was a really nice return for Phoenix. Great to see him back. Pretty quick recovery, it feels like, from that arm injury he suffered. And we are now set up for what's absolutely going to be a ridiculous trios match whenever they run it. The idea of Ray Phoenix and Buddy Murphy or Buddy Matthews in the ring together. Holy shit. So excited for that. And last on Rampage, Hook was being interviewed when Dan Housen was seen spilling two bags of chips and stomping on them. Hook spoke, saying how Dan Housen now has his attention. So destroying chips is what it takes to piss Hook off. Got it. Good to know for the future. I've been entertained by some of their stuff. This one was really rough. A match was set for them for Rampage next week. So hopefully this thing is near its end. Uh, So let's move on with AEW kind of out of the way. We'll move over to NXT. This episode of NXT absolutely flew by. It was a blast. It doesn't mean I loved every single thing on it, but it was a nice bounce back episode after I was really disappointed with what we got last week. Uh, So let's start with really the thing I was most disappointed about. Uh, Joe Gacy appeared in the main event with Druid surrounding the ring as he explained that he's been molding the minds of NXT to to desire inclusivity and acceptance since he debuted. He asked why everyone doesn't buy into that life and demanded everyone commit to his vision willingly. Gacy said Braun Breaker is not clear to defend the title, so he'll be crowned champion. Suddenly, Rick Steiner made a full entrance saying Braun was cleared and would defend the title. The Druids jumped into the ring when Breaker entered and took out eight of them before being blindsided by Gacy, who raised his arm and had the Druids pass him the NXT title down the line. This might be the worst NXT championship storyline in the history of the entire brand. Just straight up. Um, It doesn't hit any notes for me. It's a massive downgrade for Braun coming out of Ciampa and Dolph Ziggler coming to this. Gacy's elevation was without merit. The guy hasn't won any of his feuds. He has no momentum. Plus, Harland is suddenly gone. There's no real explanation for the Druids 
other than I guess they're his followers, but okay, that's fine. Why are they in cloaks? It doesn't make any sense. My hope is that Braun just retains the title and we can move the hell on from this. I am absolutely done with it. Uh, Indy Hartwell and Persia Parada were praising Roxanne Perez backstage for her debut when Toxic Attraction called her win lucky and talked trash. Perez challenged her again, and Mandy Rose scoffed by saying she'll teach her the difference between being a champion and dreaming of being a champion. It was actually one of Mandy's best segments, probably, since returning to NXT. So we got Rose versus Perez. This was the main event. Perez bit Mandy's hand and ran it into the steps. She also had a Russian leg sweep and standing twisting moonsault for a near fall. Roxanne got a few sequence near falls before eating the jumping knee for the loss in nine minutes. Mandy sold the pain in the post-match a little bit before Wendy Chu threatened with super soakers once again. Then she hit a button and a net fell, which entangled toxic attraction. Then Chu and Perez sprayed them all with silly string. I could have done without like the extensive silliness in the post-match. To me, it just kind of ruined the moment a little bit, but it was nothing that bothersome. Perez having her third WWE match ever against the NXT champion. It shows exactly what they think about her. I said it when I saw her that very first match on Level Up. I think I said it again last week. I'm going to say it now. Roxanne Perez has it. And she has it in spades. She has the opportunity to be a really fast rising star in WWE, maybe even a little bit like Paige back in the day. I am all in with her. Uh, Nikita Lyons fought Lash Legend. This rematch opened the show. They were sloppy running the ropes. Lions got pounced off the apron and thrown into the steps. Nikita reversed a powerbomb with a hurricanrana and hit a roundhouse kick to Legend's chest for the win in like five minutes. Natalia immediately attacked after the bell with Cora Jade making the save uh, with her footboard. Natty ducked a board shot and Lions saved Jade from the sharpshooter. Later backstage, Natty said she'd put the entire locker room on notice, but that Legend stands out as an exception. In the first Lions-Legend match, That vastly exceeded expectations. I I was shocked at how good it was. This one completely fell short, largely because the expectations were raised. Neither of them looked ready for prime time here. Legend in particular is rough. At least Lash, if not both, should still be training on level up, not really on main NXT. I did enjoy the post-match. It set up an obvious tag team match for spring break and next week before we get Natty Nikita and eventually Natty Cora Jade. That seems to be where we're going. Kaylee Ray got a vignette introducing her new name, Alba Fire. She said the goal was to resurrect her past with a new passion. Look, I don't care much about the name changes, but it's extremely frustrating for WWE to bring her over from NXT UK, do very little with her for nine months, but establishing her on the brand as Kaylee Ray, and then changing her name just based on company policy. If you're going to change a name, do it immediately before someone debuts, not nine months later. So... There's, other th- there's the other thing that some hate this name, Alba Fire, because Alba is literally Gaelic for Scotland. So it's like calling someone America. But I mean, people are actually named America and Ireland and India. They're named after countries and cities and states. So I don't dislike the name at all, personally. Again, the name changes don't usually bother me as long as they're not bad. Like Dewdrop bothered me. Shorty G bothered me. Going from Matt Riddle to Riddle and Austin Theory to Theory, those things bother me. But just changing someone's name, giving them a first and last name, generally I'm never going to be upset about it as long as it's legitimate, good, and not silly. And in this case, Alba Fire is a perfectly good name for her. So I have no problem with it. I just wish they had done it nine months ago. Solo Sokoa fought Trick Williams. Cameron Grimes was on commentary. Sokoa largely dominated and won clean with the Uso Splash. 
On another positive note, his hair looked the best that it's looked since he debuted. So thumbs up for you, Sokoa. Uh, Carmelo Hayes talked trash to Grimes after the match when Sokoa went to super kick him, but inadvertently hit Grimes instead. It was good enough as a build for next week. Simple and effective. Nathan Frazier fought Guru Raj, uh, or he was scheduled to fight Guru Raj. As Frazier made his entrance for his debut match, Grayson Waller attacked Raj at ringside. Waller grabbed the mic and said he does whatever he wants. Then he called out Chase U only to get blindsided by Frazier, who hit a bullet-style tope suicida. Andre Chase called it a teachable moment and the crowd popped. Tiffany Stratton was complaining backstage when Waller walked up frustrated and kind of connected with Stratton as both like to bitch and complain and not let others talk. So having Frazier immediately interact with Waller, that's good, but it was disappointing for them to promote a debut match all week and not deliver some kind of wrestling. They could have easily done a squash over Guru Raj in four minutes and a post-match attack with Waller and achieved the exact same result here. We're going to get Frazier versus Waller next week on spring break, and that's a great booking for him. But unless Frazier's going to upset Waller next week, starting with a loss is not really ideal either, when again, they could have booked a win this week and then had him lose next week. That match, it'll be a banger. I wouldn't be surprised if Stratton factors into the finish and links up with Waller. Them together makes a lot of sense. Uh, Caden Carter and Katana Chance, who is the new Casey Catanzaro, uh, fought Ulisa Leone and Valentina Feroz. I thought it was weird that they gave Casey a new name, but they couldn't bother to give a long-term tag team a new name or their finisher a name. Like, name this team already. What are you waiting for? It's so frustrating. Uh, Good action both ways. Chance got a blind tag and hit her really sick, assisted 450 for the win in seven minutes. The finish was a bit jagged, but the Caseys once again looked incredible as a team. And Leon and Feroz again looked really good as a team. I'm going to repeat it until it's reality. It does not make a shred of sense why the Caseys are not on the main roster already. Get them up there. Tony D'Angelo fought Von Wagner backstage. D'Angelo basically buried Wagner by calling him Mr. Entertainment. D'Angelo was originally supposed to fight Zion Quinn, so this was a replacement match. Legado del Fantasma ran in to distract the referee, but as the goons even the sides, Santos Escobar took out D'Angelo's knee with a crowbar as retribution. D'Angelo barely got back in the ring at nine and immediately ate a boot from Wagner for the loss. Commentary called this the bigger, biggest win of Wagner's career, clearly forgetting the guy beat Kyle O'Reilly inside a steel cage five months ago. This was not the biggest win of his career, not even close. I'd have preferred D'Angelo get the win, but he was completely protected. Wagner just does not have it at all, as I always say, but I will I will admit this was one of his better matches. So pretty good work between both guys here. Uh, Briggs Jensen and Fallon Henley fought Legado del Fantasma and Electro Lopez. Uh, the faces were acting like Hicks getting pumped up backstage when Sophia Cromwell walked by and distracted Jensen. Later, Jensen was shown to have been attacked backstage. I presume Wagner will be revealed as the attacker given the Cromwell connection. Now, I thought this match would get adjusted into a tag team match. Instead, they did a three-on-two mixed handicap match. The women took themselves out, battling outside. Briggs quickly ate uh, the still unnamed, two years later, high-low finisher from Legato as they got the win. It was a good bounce back for them. But that's how it always seems to work with that faction. They get some big wins. You think they're pushing them. They gain momentum. They never capitalize on it. The match was nothing special. Legato talked trash backstage to the faces and D'Angelo before going off to celebrate. D'Angelo later introduced his goons, Troy Two Dimes Donovan and Channing Stacks Lauren. Both are young ex-independent wrestlers. Uh, the backstage promos were strong and we're getting a sit down between D'Angelo and Escobar next week. So that should be pretty exciting. 
Roderick Strong held court in the Diamond Mine gym, repeating what he said last week, that he wouldn't let his group fall like his last one. Strong said he didn't want excuses for why the Creed brothers failed to win the titles, and he set up a match for them against the Viking Raiders for next week on spring break The Raiders showed up for a face-off. Roddy, look, he struggles so much with the promos. He did a good enough job here, but it was very repetitive from last week. Uh, so the Raiders show up. Uh, we got them against Idris Anofe and Malik Blade. Anofe pumped up Blade backstage with a parody of the scene from Cool Runnings where Yul Brenner was like getting Junior excited in the mirror, giving him confidence. I popped huge for that. If you didn't get the reference, your uncultured swine, watch the damn movie. Make sure you watch Cool Runnings. Fantastic Disney film. Uh, hit me right in the feel spot, as I said. Anyway, Anofe had a spectacular sell of a lifted knee. Eric of the Viking Raiders had a great knee to the back of Anofe's neck, and the Raiders hit a double choke powerbomb to win a fun match. The Raiders did a pretty fair job of giving the neophytes some offense and allowing them to look good for a little bit before winning. They also shook their hands after the bell, which was cool. It was very entertaining from bell to bell. Uh, Wesley had a vignette on the beach with him searching for answers after having the tag team titles taken from him. He said he can either bitch and complain or knuckle up and make waves. It was actually a really strong video package, but it's a pretty quick turnaround from the guy being frustrated as hell last week after his loss to now fully deciding to change everything. I'm still cautiously optimistic that it's going to work out for him on his own. He can cut promos. He's obviously fantastic in the ring. I'm definitely rooting for him. NXT announced the first women's breakout tournament, which by the way is a long time coming. Ariana Grace, who is Santino Morella's daughter, was the first woman to get a vignette. It was decent. Kiana James, the former Kayla Inlay, also got a vignette. It was kind of businesswoman themed. And then Sloane Jacobs, who had a couple AEW dark matches as Notorious Mimi. She was the third one with a vignette. Lash Legend earlier in the show indicated she would be in the tournament as well. So that's four already. And my guess is they're only doing eight. Um, So there's four more to be announced. I do hope that it's a mix of young talent, like some of these names that we haven't really seen. But I hope like Roxanne Perez is in this. This is something where it would make all the sense in the world for her to win, get the contract and be able to challenge for the titles. As you can tell, based on everything I said here, the women were heavily featured on NXT. They had as many matches and more non-match segments on the show compared to the men. There were actually 24 different women who showed up on NXT across two hours, which is, by the way, incredible. Now, there's only one match for the women scheduled next week for spring break That is disappointing, and neither of the titles are on the line. But the show is absolutely loaded, as we've already broken down, and the women got a ton of time this week. So when you do that, it's kind of okay when there's only one match on a show because the vast majority of weeks, there is two or three matches. And this week, like I said, the women completely outpaced the men in terms of being featured across the entire two hours of the show. So as I said earlier, AEW, very entertaining this week. NXT, very entertaining. Certainly, yes, I had some criticisms for both, but nevertheless, um, they were both pretty strong shows and I didn't feel like I wasted my time watching, which I kind of did at least watching some of the segments last week. Uh, So that is it for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. I told you we were going to be expeditious and the Silver King delivered on that. But before we get out of here, you know I need to remind you that this show is So be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, leave five-star ratings on Apple, also leave a review, let people know how much you love the show. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. We will be back on Tuesday with another WWE edition. It will actually be the WrestleMania Backlash 
uh, Ultimate Preview Show as we finally get into the last week ahead of WWE's first pay-per-view, of course, after WrestleMania, as if you couldn't tell by the name. And then one week from now, we will be back here, same bat time, same bat channel for your next AEW and NXT edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But at this point, the Silver King is going to bid you adieu and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.